lesson this morning will be taken from Luke chapter 21, the second half of the chapter, verses 25 through 38. In these verses, there are two events foretold. The destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and the second coming of Christ. It's very confusing to commentators who can't see the relationship between what took place in 70 A.D. and the end of time. And as it often is, our Lord has arranged these things in a way to snare the wise and prudent. He writes things in the Scriptures that way and reveals them unto babes. So let's read these verses together. Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be broken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. I was told when I first moved here, uh, I, I wasn't aware, I, I was in Kentucky, but not here. I like to garden, and I wanted to know when the danger of frost was over. It was a, some natural sign to look for. And they always told me when the pecan tree leaves out, you can plant your garden. So that's what... And this is what he's talking about here. You know when these things begin to shoot forth, you know summer's here. It's here. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. What's that mean? Huh? Abundance, isn't it? Overabundance and drunkenness and cares of this life so that the day come upon you unaware. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on all the face of the earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in a mount that is called the Mount of Olives, 
And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Now, there are several lessons here. I'm only going to tackle a couple this morning, but I want to take my time and go through these things. And I titled the lesson this morning, The End of All Things is Near. Is Near. Several lessons to be taught in these verses, but let's let's take our time and look at them individually and look at them in some detail. Now, I want to say something before we get into the lesson this morning. These, these things are... Uh, if you take these things to heart, they're terrifying. Especially if you don't know God. They're terrifying. But it's not my goal this morning to use some kind of fear tactic to pressure somebody into a profession of faith. That's something false religion does to fill up pews and keep people in line. They always have to have fear. <clears throat> My friend many years ago told me one time, we need a little law. No, no we don't. Because we don't use fear. Love is the motive God uses to call, convert, and constrain His saints. The love of God. We've not received, he said, the spirit of bondage again to fear. If God has granted to us the Holy Spirit of God, He that it's not the spirit of bondage. It's just not. When people press those things on you and preach to you with, with that in mind, you're not hearing from the Spirit of God at all. We've not received the spirit of bondage again, uh, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And this love, he tells us in 1 John 4, 18, has no fear in it. <laughs> you ever read that verse? Love doesn't have any fear. Ain't no fear in it. Ain't no fear in it. But rather, it says, this love casteth out fear. It gets rid of the fear. And this love in Christ is revealed to us in its perfection, perfect love. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. But neither do I want you to leave here today indifferent or undisturbed concerning the day of the Lord. The facts revealed in this book concerning sinners whose hearts love darkness rather than light ought to be terrifying. It ought to be. Do you know that God has caused kings on this earth, potentates, to tremble before Him under the preaching of the gospel? Every soul not drawn to faith in Christ, the Scripture said, shall be damned. No ifs, ands, or buts about it shall be damned. Every soul that listens to this gospel and who's not led to repentance is hardening their heart. Every time. Hardening their heart. And will in time have a conscience as if it had been seared with a hot iron. Nothing will disturb you. I've heard it all before. 
That same Jesus that you so often heard and ignored and heard and set aside and heard and refused to bow to will in a time you think not. That's what the scripture said. In a time you think not, he'll call you before his holy bar of justice and give you your just due for all your sin. No watered down sentence, no mercy. How shall we escape, he said, if we neglect so great salvation? How are you going to escape? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to look? And this salvation, he said, was preached by Christ in the beginning and then his apostles after him and his pastors that followed them. There's an end coming and the scripture says it's near. Will it be today? I don't know. Could be. I may not finish this message before the Lord appears. I don't know when he's coming. I don't know. Will it be next week? I don't know. But even, even if he tarries, you think about this, even if he tarries another thousand years, your end is near. Isn't it? Huh? You think 80 years, 90 years is a long time? Oh, you got a surprise coming to you. It seems like a, like, just like the scripture said, like steam on a tea kettle. You see it for a minute and it's gone. That's just how fast life moves. The end is near for you and I. John said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. All the books. The book of life, the book of law, and symbolically that that book that he writes down all our transgressions in. The books. And the dead shall be judged out of the things written in those books. The end is me. That's what he said. The Bible's clear on this subject. Leaves no gray area. He that believeth not shall be damned. Hell will be your portion. You live your life out in unbelief and take no heed to the gospel preached to you. Hell is your portion. What is hell? I don't really know. All I know is what the Holy Ghost has revealed in this book. And what he's revealed in this book is everlasting fire. That's how he describes it. Everlasting fire, endless misery, indescribable woe, never-ending wrath, everlasting darkness, eternal isolation. Somebody said, I have a lot of friends there. No, you won't. No, you won't. Never-ending death. Have you ever been around somebody that died? They were suffering from cancer or whatever. It's all kind of deaths, but people suffering in this life, and they it just seems like it'll never end. It just goes on and on and on, and pretty soon you're praying for death. Well, hell is never-ending death. It's a bottomless pit. And I listen to people talk at funerals and they always talk about death as an end of suffering. 
Not if you believe not, it's not an end of suffering. It's the beginning. It's just the beginning. They talk about it like it's an end of a hard life. And the beginning of something better. And others think on death as the end as their death was that of a beast. That there's nothing after death. But all these things are contrary to the Word of God. Truth is, there's nothing in or about death to give any hope to anyone outside of Christ. Now, I've got some very candid and plain things to say, and I hope you'll give me your full attention. There's at least seven lessons in these verses, and this morning I want to confine myself to just two. And the first of these lessons is the subject matter. Now, we can read and speculate and talk all we want to, but if we don't know what he's talking about, what have we accomplished? You see what I'm saying? There's a subject matter here. And then, what this subject matter teaches and what follows. Now, by the end of all things, I mean the end of all things as they appear now. This is not the end of all things. There's a hell for those who believe not. There's a heaven for those who do believe. The soul is eternal. And you're going to spend eternity forever. Our minds can't even comprehend that in one of those two places. There's two ends which our Lord describes to His disciples. The first is the end of typical worship. Judaism, legalism, ceremonialism, and a typical nation used to picture the elect of God. He's talking about that destruction of Jerusalem which came to pass in 70 AD. Now you want to let the hair on your neck stand up, you go read the history of it. Josephus, a famous Jewish historian, you'll probably hear his name quoted more than any other when you talk about the history of Jerusalem. He was in the siege in Jerusalem when it happened. It's just unbelievable, Russell. His, his, the very nation in which uh, he lived. And, and he, on, on the behalf of Rome, and jo, uh, Rome, Josephus went in and begged them, begged them to give up, begged them to... Turn themselves over to Rome. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And 1.1 million Jews died in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And 97,000 were carried away into slavery. Boy, there ain't no good news in that, is there? Mm mm. The very nation in which Jesus was born, the very people to whom he was foretold, pictured, prophesied, the people he grew up with, ministered to, walked among, had seen and heard the Son of Man, and believed not on him. Listen to this, John six thirty six. This is the Lord talking. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You looked into the eyes of the incarnate God of glory and believe not. 
Their temple, their city, their religion was accursed of God and a day of reckoning was set in the providence of God. Now there's a day and a time for all things. They were figures for the time then present. They were patterns of things in the heaven, shadows of good things to come. But the body, Paul said, is of Christ. And the second end is the end of all things as they appear in this present evil world. The religion of that day was the religion of the Jews. The religion of our day is the religion of the gospel of Christ. The religion of that day was purely typical. Read Hebrews chapter 9. It was all typical. It was a figure for the time then present in which were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not take away sin. They, they merely pictured the work of Christ. The religion of our day is the religion of the gospel of Christ. It's a gospel age. It's the fulfillment of all the types. It's a gospel age, if you will, in which the coming of Christ, His life on this earth, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and His ascension into glory is declared to men and women. It's declared to sinners, any sinners, all sinners, every age of sinners, male and female, rich and poor. Christ is preached as the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way, there's no other truth. You don't understand truth apart from Christ. You just don't. He's preached in his accomplished redemption, his representative union, his imputed righteousness and finished work. And he's the fulfillment of every Old Testament type, day, ceremony. He's the fulfillment of it. We don't have years of jubilee. We don't have Sabbath days. The Lord's our Sabbath. And he's the end of the law, the whole of it. He's the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone that believeth. Christ is all. In Him, the Scripture said, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we're complete in Him. And this world, this universe has a purpose. Paul said, the earnest expectation of creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's why He preserves it. That's why He keeps it on. In the Old Testament, under that Jewish economy, the Lord preserved that. He kept it going. They tore down one temple, He built another one. He preserved that economy until Christ came. Because it pictured Christ. It preached, if you will, the Christ who was to come. I think in Romans 3, beginning with verse 24, He said, being freely justified by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth. When? In the Old Testament. Set Him forth. Every animal sacrifice, the priesthood, that whole, everything. The temple, the tabernacle, the, the labor, the altar, the, the veil, the, in, in, uh, the holiest of all, the holy of holies, all of these things pointed to Christ. 
But when Christ comes, I don't need the shadow anymore. Now the person's standing here. You see what I'm saying? And so all of this economy was, was preserved for that. And in our day, He's preserving everything. He's preserving creation. He's, he's preserving His preachers. They're going out. They're preaching the gospel. But that day's coming to an end. That day of mercy is coming to an end. There's an end to this age. And there's been an active work going on and has been going on for over 2,000 years. But the end is nigh. And it's an end to all things as we now see them. And this end is at the door. It's right here. Now that's the subject matter of these verses. And then the second lesson in these verses have to do with the signs of the time. Verses 25 and 26 talk about signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring and men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming on the earth. For, he said, the powers of heaven and earth shall be broken. Now the key to understanding what these verses are saying is what he says in verse 26, for the powers of heaven shall be broken. The living God is almighty. That's his name. He's almighty God. There is nothing who can resist his power. Whatever this is saying, it's not talking about that. His omnipotence has no equal And he's not talking about an enemy with the power to overcome him or thwart him in any way. He said through his prophet Isaiah, I'm God, and beside me there is none else. I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I'll do all my pleasure. Huh? Over in Romans 9, Paul said, uh, here's what you're going to say. Here's what you're going to say. If God is almighty and He does according to His will in all things, how then can He still find fault? He, now, what did He tell him? Nay, but oh man, who art thou that replies to give God? You think you got some power to thwart Him or challenge Him or question Him? No man saith unto him, what doest thou? So what is he talking about? He's talking about designated power. Designated power. There's a power that holds the universe in certain order, which we call gravity. Gravity. You never thought about that, did you? Gravity is the glue that holds together galaxies. Gravity. Simple gravity. Gravity is what causes all of these, this rotation and all of this order. You know, they first sent up the Hubble telescope years ago. And, uh, and I had a, a, a little site on my computer I could go look at it, a NASA site, and they were showing these incoming pictures. And my wife and I was looking at them, and she said, everything that they show on that picture looks like it's 
been through World War III. She said it, it's, there's nothing on there except these big holes where things have slammed into it, you know, and uh, craters and man, it just, you look at the moon, you look at Mars, you look at anything that telescope is pictured and it's, how come the earth don't look that way? Huh? God's hand. God's hand. That's the only reason. That's the only reason the surface of the earth don't look like the surface of the moon. And in this universe, there is designated power. Gravity is just one of them. Just one of them. But not the least by any means. And, and my point is, what I'm trying to show you here is this designated power is what's... That's why your sun comes at a, at a certain time in the morning. And why it's hot in the summer and cold in the winter and all of these things. That's a designated power of God. What we call the law of gravity. And there's other natural laws, natural forces, we call them, that God has designated. And what about on earth? Well, he tells us in Romans 13 to be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. What's he talking about? Designated power. Well, what's that? That's governments, parental authority. You got a, a police department, you got a navy, an army, you got governors, you got presidents, you got emperors, you got designated power. And what's it say about Christ? Well, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Who's, who's running things? Who's, whose power is this that's being designated? This is the power of Christ. By Him all things consist. All authority and government shall be upon His shoulders. And whatever will take place in the heavens and in the nations of the world will be the act of God releasing His hand on those powers. Preparing to obliterate it. And that's what He's talking about here. You want, you want a sign? Here it is. God's going to begin to let go. He's going to begin to let go because he intends to destroy it altogether. Preparation for the end of time. The sun and the moon refusing to shine. How often does he use that example? The sun and the moon will refuse to shine. And if the light of the sun's blotted out, what's the moon going to do? Its light is reflective of the sun. It can't shine. And what about the stars? What kind of event could possibly happen to hide the stars? And I see the moon as a type of this fallen world forced to exist at a distance and given light according to its rotation around the sun. From time to time, it gets light. It gets light. And it's affected by it. Whatever part of the moon that gets that light is affected by it. Same as the earth. The end of which will be a time in which that light would be denied altogether. And the nations, the same thing, restrained by law, held in some order by the powers that be. When these powers are let go, what shall be the end except chaos?
the days before the coming of the Son of Man are not a pretty picture. Paul told Timothy in the last days, the days before the coming of the Son of Man, in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Huh? Lovers of them own. We live in, Russell, what we like to call an entitlement generation. They think they're entitled to everything. You're not entitled to anything. Anything you have is by the mercy and grace of God. What have you gotten, Paul said, that you haven't received? And if you received them, why you act like you didn't? Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous. That's an insatiable appetite for everything it sees. Can't get enough. I remember as a child, I, I thought, boy, if I could just get me a new car. Man, get that. I got that new car and it was old in two months. Started looking at the next one. Covetous, boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. What's that talking about? Natural affection. I'm talking about an affection that you ought to have for your parents. Huh? Honor thy father and thy mother. That's natural affection. Natural affection. Truth breakers. False accusers, incontinent, lack of self-restraint, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, it's this in the individuals that causes the distress of the nations. It's sinners and God begins to take away the powers of His constraint. He constrains men, keep them from being as evil as they could be. And every now and then, He'll give you an example of one He turns loose. Read Romans chapter 1. He gave them over to themselves to do what God was constraining them not to do in conscience. And this, this type of personality, this type of letting go is what causes the distress of nations. Are we not going through that in this nation? Is this nation not distressed? And listen what he says right after. It's distressed with perplexity. What's that mean? That means they don't know what to do about it. That's what that means. They're perplexed. They don't... People are not satisfied with the way things are, but they don't know what to do about it. They don't know which way to turn. And all these things generating a wave of fear and unrest. Well, what's, what's all this mean? It means the end is right here. That's what it means. The end of all things is near. Behold, he says, verse 29, the fig tree and all trees. And then now shed forth, shoot forth. You see and know your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise, when you shall see these things come to pass, 
Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Matthew said of this same fig tree parable, When you see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. It's that close. Can any of you see what's going on in the world around you and not be warned by these things? Don't you see the fig tree in these signs putting forth its leaves? Be warned. Be warned. That's what the Lord's doing. Be warned. And here's what He says to believers. When you see these things, you don't fear. You look up because your redemption draws nigh. This ain't a bad sign to you. This ain't a warning to you. This is the promise being fulfilled. You look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. But boy, if you're not a believer, I'm telling you, you ought to be terrified. Your knees ought to be knocking together when you think on these things. And think about eternity. May the Lord teach us these lessons and what to do with them.